So uh, I was reading in my uh, news feed this morning that today is an anomaly in the calendar and that it's, if you look at the date, it's one, two, three, one, two, three. Uh, and that because of this, my news feed was saying that, that uh, literally out in Las Vegas, there are thousands of people all trying to get married today. And I'm like, why today of all days? And they believe that having this kind of calendar date, one, two, three, one, two, three, uh, it will bring them luck. And what I want to tell them is, luck has nothing to do with a good marriage or not. Uh, it has everything to do with where we put our faith and our marriage into, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the one that can bring people together, even in the most difficult circumstances, and can keep people together in the worst moments of their life. And you'll notice this morning up here, the title of this is The Miracle That No One Saw. That's not exactly true. The first really miracle we know of Christmas of Messiah coming in the world was seen by very, very few. And yet um, Luke thought it was, he needed to write down this account about what took place because he knew that no, personally nobody saw it. What most scholars believe is that Luke was certainly ed, very highly educated. Many believe he was a physician. But he writes down this historical account that we would might have it here this morning. And I, if you look the way he words it, it, it is certainly, um, what he's writing here is a, is a historical fact. I say that because Dave was even mentioned C.S. Lewis earlier, when one of his unbelieving friends wrote to him um, about how he doubted the scriptures and he thought they were a bunch of myths and legends, uh, Lewis wrote back to him a very academic letter, but he said, listen, I'm probably one of the two or three foremost experts in the entire world in medieval literature. I've been studying myths and legends my entire life. I know what myths and legends look like. What's in this book is not one of them. This is historical fact. And let me just bring this to the forefront here in our, in our scripture reading that uh, not only in the, the passage there out of Isaiah, but in the very beginning chapters of Luke, let me put it up here where Luke writes in the beginning of chapter 2, at this time, the Roman emperor, and the Roman emperor at the time was, the Caesar was Augustus, and Augustus took a census that was to be taken throughout the Roman Empire, and the first census was taken by Quirinius, the governor of Syria. Now, what is so interesting here is he's, he's writing this down as history. He's saying this is a historical fact, and in other words, what he's not saying here is not a myth or legend. Or let me put it another way. Notice what he does not say. Okay? He does not say, long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> All right? Now, some of you get this. Last week at the 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. service I did this on, I get nothing but blank stares, okay? Uh, I'm talking about Star Wars here, okay? He doesn't say that. Because when you see that on the screen, you read in a book or whatever, you know, okay, this is not true. And yet, it's fascinating, it's entertaining, it may even inspire us, but it's not true. This is not what's taking place here. What Luke says here, and I think it's brilliant, he's reminding the listeners, and he's telling all of us, but he's certainly reminding the people back at that time, he said, listen, I want to tell you something. Remember, remember back years ago when the Caesar at the time, Augustus, remember that Caesar, remember he took that huge census throughout the Roman Empire? Do you remember that? Remember when that happened? The story I'm about to tell you 
took place exactly when that was taking place. And that's the reason why, he says, Joseph, the father of Jesus and Mary, why they traveled from Nazareth, why they went to Bethlehem, because it was not only to fulfill prophecy, but also a census was being taken. So he's giving them kind of historical account of this. And he's saying to them, um, Christmas really happened. And he goes as so far as to say in the first verses in the beginning of chapter one, he says, uh, I've talked to people. I want to give you an eyewitness account of what actually happened here. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he's basically saying here, um, the most important thing you will ever know is what I'm about to tell you, that what was promised in the Old Testament, that a king would come, a Messiah would come, he has arrived as a baby. He became a man. He was born in the middle of nowhere. He was placed in a manger, son of God, Jesus Christ. He is alive. He's here. It happened. And he wanted everyone to know that. Now, why is that important for us to hear here as we're about to enter into 2024? Um, It's for this simple reason. And I've had more discussions than I can even remember about whether it's people in the church or people, many people outside the church who will say, I'm very intrigued by parts of Christianity. I'm intrigued. I'm attracted to Jesus, some of the things Jesus says, but I don't know if I agree with, I don't know if I really believe in all of what he says. I certainly don't believe in all the doctrines you guys talk about. Um, And in the end, many of them have told me, you know, in the end, I really believe it comes down to just being a really good person. And that by the end of your life, you know, we leave this world a little better than we found it. And we just, in the end, we kind of are, our good things outweigh our bad things. Now, I'd love to know how you actually do that. But there's the belief that if, And the belief is really, it's what theologians call the gospel of works, or the salvation of works. And that is that um, we are so, we're not so bad that we need somebody to rescue us. We don't need a savior. And we're we're good enough that we can, some sense, rescue ourselves. We, We are good enough to pull ourselves up out of the pit. This is called the, the salvation of, of works. And I'll tell you something. The reason why, by the way, this affects how people see Christmas People who believe that we're not saved by something outside of ourselves, but basically because we're just good enough, Christmas is more a time for good feelings to get together, drink hot apple cider around a Christmas tree, um, singing nostalgic hymns, um, swapping, just swapping Christmas gifts with each other, eating food, getting fatter, you know, being around family, right? But it, it's more just a time to, to get together. It's more of just a, a myth, a legend, and that therefore Jesus Christ maybe forms just one function. That is, he's, he's there to maybe give us an example. He's there to inspire us. But here's what I want to say to that, and that is, if that is the truth, um, when it comes to the end of our life, and I'm telling you, I, I can speak into this. I've sat by the beds of hundreds of people who've died over 20-something years in ministry. And when you go and you believe that I I'm, can I'm get there by my own strength and through my works, I'm telling you, I've been, I cannot tell me people I've sat by the bed, and when they, they realize they're about to leave, they are scared. They are terrified. 
that they're going to drop off in some abyss and no one's there to catch them. Um, because in a sense, you are on your own. But what I do is I like to say, let me tell you the real story. Who did Paul Harvey say? The rest of the story. Let me tell you the rest of the story. Let me tell you what actually happened. There's another possibility. And that is Christ came into the world to do what we could never do in a million years. That he lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we deserve. It's not about us doing something to what he's already done. And therefore, it's a gospel of grace. Period. So it's not how good we are or even how bad we are. That really has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with Christ. And so, therefore, the great events of, of, we find in this book are of his birth and his suffering and his teachings and his resurrection and him raising from the dead and all things will be raised from the dead. That's what we're talking about here, that Christmas really happened and that we're saved by grace alone. And that Christmas is about God's plan to come and do something to bring light into the darkness we see all around us. And let me take this even a step further. It's not just to to shine light in the darkness, but it's to heal what is broken out there and to heal what is broken in here. You can look to this person beside you and behind you to heal all those people, but even more importantly, to heal what's in here, us. That's why the light came into the world, to shine in the darkness, and the darkness has never been able to overcome it. So that's why Luke writes a passage. And then we come to this passage that David just read a minute ago out of of Isaiah, that famous chapter, ninth chapter from the prophet Isaiah. And let me put it up here. You've heard this before. For a child for us is born, a son is given, and the government... God's government will rest upon his shoulders. And what's he going to be called? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, a prince of peace. And I want to underscore that one phrase right there. There's two words, wonderful counselor, wonderful counselor. He has been such a wonderful counselor to so many of us in here for so many years. There's not a person in here, from the youngest to the oldest here, that does not need counsel. Um, Counsel on how to make a right decision. Counsel to make sure you don't make a wrong decision. Counsel just everyday life. The question's never been whether we need counsel. The question is, where are we getting that counsel? And I would suggest to you this morning that the the world's counsel versus God's counsel are many times opposed to one another. And that is that the world's counsel, is, the idea is built on and it asserts that everything can be fixed. And there's a, there's a solution to everything if we just have enough education. If people just have more information. And I would just want to push back against that. It's not to say that that stuff doesn't count. Education doesn't matter. But there's not a person here. You don't have to be a philosopher to know this. We have more education and more information than any time in history right now. And would you say that everything's fine in the world right now? I mean, there's wars, there's poverty, there's depression, there's suffering, there's sadness, there's racism, 
There's injustice. And it's not just on the other side of the world. It's here. And we have more education than we've ever had any time in history here. And what I want to say is Christmas, okay, the story of Christmas flies in the face of how the world defines what is successful, polish, good counsel. It, it just pushes against the grain here. And, and let me just give you, let me just illustrate this. I, don't, I just want you to imagine with me that each one of us in the room in here decided that we want to, um, we want to change the world. That's always something people want to do. I mean, every election we hear this, let's go change the world, okay? But let's just say we, each of us as individuals say, I want to change the world where, where 2,000 years from now, my name would be known by three quarters of the world. And not only that, a quarter of the world would build their entire existence on what I taught and believed. And not only that, that 2,000 years from now, uh, entire civilizations and cultures would be built upon and stand upon what I taught and believed. If that was your goal, and that was my goal, that our name would be remembered 2,000 years from now by almost nearly the entire globe, how we go about making that happen? Well, you would certainly want to hire some consultants, some handlers to show you, okay, this is what you need to do, this is what you don't need to do. Here's how you need to bring out your platform. Here's how you need to get your word out here. Here's what those consultants and handlers will, here's what they will never tell you. They will never tell you, um, make sure you come from a place in the middle of nowhere that people can't even find on a map. Um, make sure that you surround yourself, um, that you are outside all the power networks, all outside the economic political and academic power networks. Oh, and by the way, make sure that all the people who have any kind of influence, make sure they hate you. <laughs> they reject you. Oh, and there's one more thing, okay? Your big crescendo, the highest thing you need to do to get people to follow you, so you remember 2,000 years from now, to get people to believe you and follow you, your biggest thing you need to do, you need to make sure very early on in your career, you go and get yourself executed, <laughs> right? In the most shameful, humiliating way possible. If you do that, then people will follow you. No one would ever believe that. No one would ever follow that. And yet it happened. It happened exactly like that. Christianity when you look at it on paper, it looks like from the poorest of the poor, the founder of the poorest of the poor, all his followers uneducated, you look at every, where he came from, outside of all power, you would think this will never get off the ground. And yet, here we are, 2,000 years later, this church exists this morning because of that. I'm up here this morning because of that. It happened. Christmas has made foolish the counsel and the wisdom of this world. Now, I want to add here, this is very important I say this. I want you to, say, I want you to know this because I know and believe that I'm, out, I'm not against worldly learning at all. I think many of you know me privately know how much I appreciate philosophy, even secular philosophy and how much I love music and, and the arts and literature, how much I love those things and how much I appreciate science 
I've always said I think science very much proved the existence of God. They're not, they're not opposed to one another. But let me say this, though. Um, people that are being changed in their lives are not being changed by studying Plato and Aristotle. The people who are breaking addictions are not breaking them because they know uh, the periodic table or they're learning critical theory. The people whose lives are being radically changed are following after the teachings of Jesus Christ. And this is the reason why Christianity, by the way, I know everybody thinks Christianity is crumbling here in the West, but let me tell you something. It is exploding 10 times the rate of the population in Asia, in Africa, in Latin America right now. In fact, me standing here right now in the middle of the night, early morning over in China, there are hundreds of millions of Christians in the underground church. And I can tell you something, whether it's there or in the slums of South America or in the sub-Saharan parts of Africa, I tell you, they're not studying Plato and Aristotle right now. They're not learning the periodic table. They're looking and expounding on what is found in this book, and that is what's changing their lives. That's what's changing their culture. This is what's bringing about miracles in people's lives. And I know that because I'm a miracle. And some of you in here feel you're the same way. And let me add this. I have seen what I would categorize um, two miracles in my life. That, that stand outside of reason, that stand outside of explanation. It just, it's just too great. And let me just share one of them this morning, that I've talked about this before, and I'll never get tired of, of talking about this. Let me put the picture up here, okay? Yes, this is my oldest brother, Evan. I'm 5'7", he's 6'7", Okay? And that picture was taken maybe 15 years ago. He had been clean from drugs and alcohol about six months after this was taken. He was a methamphetamine addict for 20 years. The fact that, has he, the fact that he even has his teeth is a miracle. He was in and out of prison. He's got tattoos from here all the way up to here. He was warrants for his arrest on multiple occasions. He stole from everybody, including our family. And those who've watched severe, severe drug addiction know what I'm talking about. You are just waiting for the call that they're dead. He, he was missing for years. And in around 2000. In 16, 2017, God, I mean, 2006, 2007, God radically got a hold of his life and changed him forever. And he has now been clean now for like nearly 15 years. Yeah. And what I will tell you, I, I could live to be a thousand. I don't think I'll ever be able to get my arms around what I've, what I've seen. Lisa will tell you the same thing. It's just a miracle. Uh, he, what God has done, no pill, no therapy, no inspirational talk could ever do. And let me take this even a step further. I'll put the other pictures up here. He now works in one of the largest and biggest churches in America, Hope Presbyterian in Memphis, Tennessee. And a church that's multicultural, 
multi-generational and multi-ethnic. And he has a, a ministry to hundreds of drug addicts. And let me tell you something. That church, it's, it, it's entirely appropriate that the name is Hope, that they're bringing hope to a city right now that is burning. And Evan will tell you that Jesus Christ is doing what nothing else can do. It's what's bringing hope to villages, communities. It's, it's, it's what's giving people the ability to be able to stare down death or horrible diagnosis or a crisis in their lives or facing incredible odds or dealing with just out and out injustice. It's what's helping people in Memphis deal with just racism in every corner. It's helping people deal with poverty and sadness. It's, in other words, this is bringing peace to villages all around, not only our community, but all around the world. And, and I said that to you this morning because um, I just know in, in a place this size this morning, there are some of you in here this morning, we show up here, we put on the, we put on the happy face, but inside you're, you're crying because you feel like the hope and the light in your life is going out. And you find yourself right now maybe in, in a dark place. But I want you to know this morning that Christmas has taught us anything. The Christ is a light and a high beauty that's forever beyond that darkness's reach. Continue to walk in his light and that darkness will never find you. The miracle that nobody saw, but praise God, not anymore. Let's pray. Lord, your word says, and we believe, that you have shined a light into the darkness, and the darkness has never, never, ever been able to overcome it. We pray you would shine a light not only in our hearts and in our community, Lord, to help us, help us to be sensitive to people who are, who are struggling, whose lights are going out. We pray, Lord, that we may continue to take your word, it may be a light unto our paths, that we would get involved in a way, Lord, that we could follow after you because you say and your word promises that if we follow after you, surely your goodness and mercy will follow after us. It's for those promises and for your glory we claim these things. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing.